Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hello and welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and it was, of course, round three of the Six Nations this weekend, and the Premiership was in full swing too. So there's plenty of rugby to talk about. Joining me to do just that from the Evening Standard, it's, of course, Steve Cording and Evening Standard's rugby correspondent, Nick Purwell. Hi, Steve. Hello, Nick. Hi, Lawrence. How are you? Hi, Lawrence. Very well, indeed. I feel a bit of a fraud, really, because I've just come back from Rome. I had four minutes' work, really. Three minutes was a bit of a hit before the game, and then I uh, I delivered about a minute with uh, Gabriel Clark after the game. But uh, I have to say, and we'll get on to the Six Nations later, I was thoroughly entertained. I think uh, I really enjoyed that match, and uh, yeah, I was rather there than in Cardiff. Yeah, you sounded actually like one of England's replacements. I mean, they got 14 seconds. I suppose you got a bit longer than that, didn't you? <laughs> Now, listen, mate, we'll talk about that uh, another time. Our guest this week has spent more than 20 years as a coach, spanning both club and national level, and both codes as well. He's currently head coach for London Irish. It is Les Kiss. Les, a pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining us. It's always better to talk to a coach or a player the day after he's won a game, but uh, I'm sure you've put the world to rights already and you're preparing for next week and you've forgotten about it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh yeah, look, it's never nice, you know, the day after, a, or two days after a loss, really. It, it never sort of sits right. But um, in our game, you get used to the ups and downs. And uh, as I always do, a couple of beers later, I can also see through the fog and, and see some hope uh, for the next week. Well, listen, before we put any more rugby questions to you, Les, Steve, we mentioned your birthday. I think you share it with a few people like Elizabeth Taylor, like the guitarist from Iron Maiden. Oh, but you got better knowledge than me. I didn't know that, really. Oh, I should have looked that up. Yes, my birthday today. Got a nice little birthday present yesterday from my football team. Went to watch the round ball at Wembley. Manchester United winning. So took my son, which was a nice day out. And a bit of cake later on, I think. Les, let's ask you a little bit more about your life at London Irish, if you don't mind. I know that you've coached in a lot of different places. You've had incredible success. Uh, you've been London Irish, I think, about five years now, working alongside Decky. You know, when you first came to Irish, did you see yourself being here, you know, still here after five years? Yeah, you don't sort of plan five years out, I don't think. A person in my role, a coach that's moving from country to country, being Australian, you tend to do that more than, say, an Englishman. You just probably move across the, the ditch or something or do something like that. But that is the struggle. I think from the family perspective, I think we've moved about six, seven times in the last 12 years and over different houses, even though we lived in Dublin for eight years. Went to Ulster, bought a place up there, got the sack, sold that place. Uh, now I'm at London Irish. You know, you plan two, three years out. And uh, when we first joined it, when Mick Crossan rang me, he just wanted to make sure we got back into London and established ourselves as a force again in some form. So we came back in, rode the championship for a year to get back up. And from there, it's just been step by step. I must say, though, it was a gift, I think, and I think Decky feels the same, to, to actually be introduced to rugby in England 
through the championship. The people involved in that league are unbelievable. The coaches are savvy. They're just they're old bull versus young bull. They they just know the nuances of the game. They it was a great way to see English rugby first up you know, through the championship and traveling you know, down to Penzance and all that, uh, you know, Bedford's ground with the big slope, just those nice, great experiences. Yeah, I think it was a gift to have been introduced to English rugby in that way. But now we're back with the big dogs. It's just been a slow, slow burn, probably slower than we probably like, but we are making positive steps, that's for sure. And uh, Les, for you, you know, people might not realise this, but your own playing career was was in rugby league. It's been a fascinating sort of uh, coming together. I never forget when Sean Edwards first came to, to Wasps. I mean, obviously he's a player that I admired in that whole Wigan generation. Yeah. He said it's the same post, same pitch. You know, that if you take away scrums, lineouts, breakdown, and you know the fact that the, every time the ball's on the floor, there's a contest for possession. You know, it's the same game. So. You know, there obviously is a difference, but, uh, you know, you coach London Broncos, you've been involved in rugby union now for over 20 years, so people wouldn't maybe remember the fact you played league. What was it that made you, were you a crystal ball gazer and you realised that actually that there was something, um, you know, different about union or, or do you just done everything you wanted to in league and decided to go for it? It basically came down to, uh, yeah, I think it was Muggleton was the early sort of guy in Australia that went into to rugby coaching. Yes. And I just got phoned out of the blue by the Springboks you know, come and do this. And uh, so I was headhunted and I said, well, why not? Let's give it a go. Um, so you can imagine heading off to, to South Africa as, as your first gig. It was quite challenging, actually. I think I was one of the first foreigners ever ever worked there. But, you know, I wouldn't be dissimilar to uh, Sean Edwards. There are a lot of similarities about the game. And a lot of those similarities come down to, to attitude and, you know, committing to the simple things that you do well. You get those things right, other things grow from it. But uh, if I'd said the biggest challenge for me in the game, uh, I love the tactical variations of the line out and scrum. I love it. I love the way you can position things defensively and attack wise and, and maneuver and all those types of things. But the biggest challenge was me to get my head around the, the breakdown area. It was just a different area and the advantage line linked with that. But every month the light would go on. You know, I was pretty fortunate to work with some pretty smart guys like Andre Voss and those guys early, you know, from the, the spring box, Percy Montgomery, uh, just a, a thinker of the game, Cornet Cricket, all those types of folks. And each month it would just click, you know, oh, that's what it is. That's the speed of the ball. That's the presentation that's the advantage line and the nuances that come with that and once you got your head around that you know i think six months seven months into it it just sort of flowed nicely i had a very different conversation the other way around actually and, and not many people know this but when i was a very young kid i was sort of still trying to find my way in rugby union i think i was a big you know just about it i hadn't quite played for england I had a phone call from Brian Smith, the Australian rugby league coach, I think, and he was coaching at bradford northern yeah yeah and he said to me lawrence um you know we'd really like to sign you for bradford northern and, uh, you know, it was very, very flattering. I was a very young man. And I said to him, you've got to, I'm just got to stop you right there. there. There's a couple of things that there's not going to work here. One, I don't feel like I deserve to be signed up for anyone, really. I haven't made my debut for England. I really want to fulfill my dream of playing for England. But I said, yeah, what you're asking me to do is incredible, but you're asking me to persuade my wife to move from London to Bradford. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. I said, there is two words there, geographical immobility, or, or actually there's one other word, called divorce, really. So... Uh, <laughs> I mean, you've moved five times. Um, I mean, persuading your family to go from Australia yeah, to the yeah. beach in Cape Town is one thing. Going out to Bradford Northern, which I'm sure would have been a pretty good education. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, and I, I hope this is taken the right way, but in Australia in the 90s, I was in league, and, and then late 90s, I moved into Union. But there was uh, Richard Harry. Uh, Richard yeah. Harry, the, he was the prop for you. After dinner speeches or whatever, there was always a, a debate in Australia. What's the better game, rugby league or rugby union? 
And obviously, uh, he'd have his bent on it. But uh, he said, look, if you play rugby, you see the world. You play league, you see Wigan. <laughs> and it used to just bring it out and, and, and it'd be a laugh. And and, and and I hope it's not taken the wrong way. But it, it sort of laid at the home. Once I joined Union, I could just see a, a world of possibilities in terms of how you broaden as a person. You know, I mean, it's great exposure out there. The, the variation of the games in different countries is massive compared to league. I love league. It's still the game that I was brought up in. But I'm a rugby union coach now. I've been there coaching this longer than I coach league. And uh, it's it's just in me now, and I, I just love the game. Uh, talking about Wigan, uh, when I coached the London Brokers, I'm not sure if you know this, but I coached Sean Edwards. And uh, when he played there, a competitor through and through, isn't he? he a, a man that you, you just respect fully. And uh, I remember one day I had to make a decision. I said, mate, you're on the bench. <laughs> I'm going to start another guy ahead again. Oh, truth. You've just felt the, the room just change when you told him. But... Uh, yeah, he came on with 20-30 to go and just nailed it. You know what I mean? He he was one competitor, a great bloke. I, I loved spending time with him, but he's probably one of the best coaches I've seen, that's for sure. Les, I spoke to one of your uh, former colleagues, actually Tony Ray, before coming on, because I wanted to do a bit of background research on you. But obviously, if you do a search on Les Kiss uh, on the internet... Yeah, don't Google Les Kiss without putting rugby after it, OK? Yeah, you have to put rugby after it, or you, otherwise you do get some questionable results. But no, but Tony was telling me, he's just you've just come back from uh, your daughter's wedding, and he asked me to ask you about your flipper in the nets in Mumbai. Oh, that's truth. Yeah, this is like we love cricket Aussies, uh, as you guys, you know, the Ashes series is brilliant. But I was fortunate enough to um, get a week off. So the bath match, I wasn't off. I put the other coaches in charge. So it took a week, 10 days. My daughter got married in Goa. But before we got to Goa, myself and Tony met up with our, our, our better halves in Bombay, Mumbai. And we did a bit of a Jeep tour. And we saw this middle area in the middle of Bombay, about, say, five cricket pitches long, you know, in that area with all these clay pitches and all these young people, old people playing cricket on all these variation of pitches. So Tony and I say, well, let's get in there and have a bit of a crack at this. So we go in there and suddenly this group says, come over here. A couple of great lads had said, let's play a bit of cricket. So I've got the ball and Tony's batting. I'm throwing down my flippers and I got them two or three times. Then I have a bat and the Indians have bowled at me. And I'm batting away. It was one of the most surreal things I've ever done, be playing on these old clay pitches against people who are just playing it out there for the fun of it. It was bloody brilliant. And, um, you know, I did a bit of research on it. The likes of a Sachin Tendulkar and those sort of guys actually grew up in those pitches. It was unbelievable, to tell you the truth, and a great experience, as was my daughter's wedding. Fantastic time and, and a family time to get away and do that. It must be great to have an opportunity like that to have a bit of a break as much as obviously be at such an important family event. But I mean, are those the kinds of things that you need to keep you fresh with the coaching? I think um, sometimes you get so deep into it that you can't see some things outside of it. And one of the things that has been very important to me is to ensure that everyone in our, our rugby program, and we you see this in leadership seminars and books, but if you're not there, that it can still operate. And uh, if you don't do that, I don't think you're in front of the, the curve as you should be. And this was one challenge. You know, we challenge our coaches and particularly people in our medical department, our SNC department. If there's something big that you need, let us know and we'll make it work. And if someone needs to go to a family event, if there's something that's important that needs to be done, ask and we will work it out. That drives you to make sure that everyone around you knows what is required and what is necessary. So not only does it get you over your thing that oh, if, if I'm not there, it can't work. 
you actually build trust and confidence in the whole program. And we encourage that in our environment because it's a season in the premiership, it's a marathon and you've got to be able to find a space to take a breath and touch base with family or touch base with something else that just gives you something to fresh you up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, Les, we know the season's full of highs, hopefully more highs than lows. You built a great community down at the GTEC Stadium in Brentford. What's coming up in the next few weeks um, that you can tell us about? We've got some big matches coming up, Newcastle away, uh, then Sale at home. Massive, massive weekends for us and, and for those clubs as well. The following week, which is Paddy's weekend, actual St. Patrick's weekend, we've got the final against Exeter in the Prem Cup at home. But the following week is our big event, which is the uh, 25th of March, a 5.30 kickoff. We play Saints in our St. Patrick's. And I've been told it's a party day. And as you know, if you put the Irish and St. Patrick's together, it's going to be a party, win, lose, or draw. And uh, I was saying earlier to the lads there, Lawrence, I just hope we get the different result. I know that the boys will party regardless, you know, the crowd and the spectators, but we need a different result against Saints. You know, they're going well. Uh, It will be a massively entertaining game. There's no doubt about that. Both teams will actually test each other with the ball and play and, and the skill sets, but uh, it'll be a massive day for us. Not only do we do the, have match day, but there's carnivals beforehand. There's um, some great opportunities for uh, people to go to the fan village, etc. We've got a choir that's got hundreds of children from local schools. They're going to sing Fields of Athen Rye. We're just trying to engage with the community more and more as we get our roots deeper into, into London. Listen, I think it's, it's it's brilliant. I mean, I know as a coach and as a player, there's always a challenge when you've got these big games and we've got to market our sport. But actually, you've got a chance to win a trophy um, with the week before. And that is a, you know, there's only three trophies available. So to win one, to get a bit of silverware, it would be great if you could do that. Obviously, you've got to beat a good side. And then I suppose the challenge for you as coaches is if you win a trophy, you're going to have a good night out. You're going to reflect. You're going to celebrate. But then you've got to get your heads on the following week. And if you if you were to lose that game, you know, the big disappointment, you've still got to somehow get your heads on. I mean, that's that's a real challenge, isn't it? As a coach, week to week, you, you, you're you dealing with emotions with players. You know, it's a big couple of weeks for the club, if you think about it, because it's so tight in that top four. I just saw the table just before we came on. You know, one match uh, win, you beat Saints potentially there. Um, you obviously got two other games. You know, you could be up in the playoffs just at the right time. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's where, I think as an organisation, we're, we're finding out what it is to compete at the top. You know, learning what it takes to win, how to take a loss and then bounce back is something that's been a journey over the last two or three years. And I think we're slowly understanding what that is as an organisation as a whole, but also uh, from the, the locker room. And one of the key parts of that, and You'll know what I mean by this, Lawrence. You would have been key in this in the teams you're involved in. Leadership's massive in that because the key leaders in the group, they know the, the buttons to push in a locker room at any given time. And if we win, we'll lean on them. Yep, a couple of years, boys, but we're going to be ready to train now. And allowing that decision to be able to be blend between the key coaches and, and the key leadership is a massive for us. If we lose, how do we close the gap with something positive and, and end up back on land at the at, at Hazelwood at the right time in the right mindset? How do we manage that day? So as much as it's a coaching challenge, it's it's something that you've got to build with your with your key leaders. And you know, we're pretty lucky with a couple that we've got there in Matty Rogers and Patty Jackson, Rob Simmons, Adam Coleman, uh, Ben Loder, they're the key guys that, that we lean on. And uh that's important because it is a massive two weeks and Saints match could be so bloody vital for both of us. Yeah, well, listen, we, we wish you all the very best for that. And I'm sure that um, there's tickets still available. So that St. Patrick's Day party is on the 25th of March, uh, premiership fixture against Northampton Saints. We shall definitely look forward to that.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Now we want to get stuck into this weekend Six Nations action. Steve, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, so uh, Lawrence, you obviously out in Rome for the game for ITV. Uh, Italy lost, unfortunately, but played really well. 34-20 to Ireland. Felt like a bit of a closer game than the result actually was, didn't it, Lol? And I think if Italy can stop those turnovers, then there's every chance that uh, they could give Wales a real test in 10 days' time. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think for me, one of the best test matches of the of the weekend, really. Um, take nothing away from France, Scotland, which had a lot of drama, but... Yeah, there was one score in it with 10 minutes to go, given that Italy had conceded four tries before half-time. They were really staring, you know, backs against the wall. And look, I mean, Italy, there was nothing that you could say other than just to applaud the players. They didn't finish the right side of the result, but there is enormous progress being made in that group. There is a belief within there. If they continue in, you know, in the way that they're playing, that they will get results. And they played the number one, number two ranked side in the world, France and Ireland. And they've come up just short. I mean, England was a bit of an anomaly, wasn't it, for them? They, they didn't go well. It was a scrappy game. But, you know, if they play anywhere near that level against Wales, they've got every chance of winning that game. So, look, they're making massive progress. Um, I think they've defined how they want to play. I mean, there was times when I'm thinking that they've gone three phases. They've not got over the game line. You know, they're, they're in that really dangerous kind of minefield zone where if you give away a penalty, you're in trouble and the next five minutes of the game is down in your own 22 defending. But they stuck with it and a couple of times they had to absorb pressure in that second half. And, and as I said, to be close to Ireland with 10 minutes to go, I thought was magnificent. And uh, I mean, Ireland are this lovely, they're this lovely mix at the moment. They left, what, five or six top-class players out. It's going to change the nature of their performance ever so slightly. But they learned something about themselves. They learned a bit of depth. The thing is, they didn't leave just world-class players out. They left the personality of the team out. You know, people like Sexton, Furlong. You know, Ireland have got this kind of mixture of what I'd call old-school rugby players. People that are so old-school, they played with me and against me. And the modern-day professional doesn't really... I mean, they're, they're very, they're incredibly professional, but they don't say an awful lot. You know, they're not as vocal. And it's not just on the field, it's off the field as well. You get this kind of swagger that goes with people like Sexton and, and Furlong, and there's a bit of chat and a bit of banter, and they're having a laugh with the coaching, but they know when to switch it on. And I think Ireland are well-placed. They've got that. They've got the new era professional, and then they've got this young group who are coming through who are like really fearless, you know, who, who their progress, like Doris and Keenan, their progress has been phenomenal. When Eddie Jones picks up the phone, Les, and gives you a call and says, how do I stop this Irish team? What would you tell him? Oh, it's bloody difficult at the moment. Uh, a lot of people say they're a machine. They are, but I think there's more to it. They're, they're a fluid organism that just finds space at the right time and the right timing of that space. Their timing's impeccable at the moment. I can't see them not winning the Six Nations. They truly know who they are, and I think that's the big plus. That, and they know when they're under pressure how to get their way out of it. And Italy, I've got to say, are now finding out who they can be. And at least they've got their teeth into saying, we can play this way. They didn't get under pressure and just box kick the hell out of it. They said, let's keep backing ourselves and find out. And they failed a couple of times, but they failed against two of the best teams, you know, in those games. It doesn't make them a failure. If they go away from it, that makes them a failure. They've got to keep backing themselves in that style. But I think I think Ireland has to be in, in the favourites for the World Cup. I think a home ground advantage for France puts them right at the top there. I think South Africa are comfortable with who they are and how they play. New Zealand, it won't take them long. They, they know it's sitting underneath. It's bubbling. They won't be too far away. 
Saturday tea time, Nick, you were uh, in Cardiff for the 2010 win over Wales, which uh, I was reading today is actually the biggest win in Cardiff since 2003, which is probably when you were playing in that game, Lawrence. But um, with 72 kicks from hand, I have to say it probably wasn't the greatest spectacle. And you've interviewed Max Malins today uh, in the Evening Standard, and he's defended the kicking, hasn't he? Yeah, well, 2003 was the last time Wales got the wooden spoon, so there's no coincidence there. I mean, England's situation, what I was sort of writing today was saying that, you know, had they gone in a different direction and had it been either Scott Robertson or Ronan O'Gara, we'd have seen a very different, you know, attacking England. It sort of stands to reason that a team will be, you know, built in the image of its coach and pragmatism is a very fair way to look at Steve Borthwick and what he's doing. And there's a, I think there's a massive humility to his let's walk before we can run approach. And so that shows great strengths of his personality. And that these are all attributes that make him a really, really great person and why the players respect him so much. And, you know, he works probably harder than anyone else in that setup. And I think he's being very realistic about where they are and where they've got to go to. And I think that, you know, the tactic to go to the air paid massive dividend and, uh, I think one of the other reasons he's saying they're doing that is because he doesn't think they're fit enough to play the style he wants them to play. And I think he's obviously quite worried about, say, England sort of pushing through eight, nine, ten phases, not making the kind of inroads they want to, continuing to push on, getting turned over and getting caught out on a sort of one-two phase score in the, in the other direction. So I think they're being very conservative at the moment. I can understand that. I, I can also understand why some fans are a bit sort of frustrated with it, but... I don't think it's the craziest thing to do in the world, given he's only been coaching them for about three weeks and he's asking them to commit to massive changes. And within what they faced on the day, they did very well. But I think they're probably quite realistic about the fact that they've got a long way to go as well. Yeah, Lawrence pragmatic, wasn't it, more than anything else, I guess? I didn't like the performance, but it was a big step forward for England because they've won away from home against a really tough opponent in the Six Nations, Wales. So I, look, I think they did take a step forward, uh, but it was only a, a step forward. And let's be honest, when you watch the quality that, that's going on around them, they're a long way away from that. But, you know, the, the good news is we're not going to... We're not going to get someone putting the wool over our eyes in a press conference. You know, the coach and the players will give it to you as it is. You know, it's like, uh, this is where we need to get to and it's going to take us time. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm, and probably the game of the weekend probably was the, the final game, which was France uh, against Scotland. Scotland, no grand slam for them again, unfortunately, but they did have opportunities and they were in the game right until the end. There was two red cards in that game, one of which, Les, probably made you wince when Mohamed Hahus took out Ben White. Uh, it's probably the games like that you have to watch through your fingers, do you, in case any of your players get injuries? Yeah, you don't like to see that, particularly if it's your own player. But Ben, he's on fire at the moment, I think. Uh, ben White is playing exceptionally well. I've got to take my hat off to Scotland, though. I, again, I think they've stepped forward from previous seasons. I, I think that's obvious. You've got Russell in the right headspace. You've got a forward pack in front of them that will die for each other. Yeah, they're little things that you need in place, the fundamental basis of why you're there, the attitude, the commitment, the basics, right? They're doing most of those things right. Hugh Jones running beautiful lines. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff that's happening there. But I do think France are just that step above still. And they proved that points difference. I think it's proven that the class that they do have at home. And that's something that that, that is a massive favour for them going into the World Cup. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to our players of the weekend. Lawrence, who are you going to choose? Was it anybody from yesterday's game? I mean, Fiku was outstanding, wasn't he? But uh, I, I still think, yeah, Doris for me, he, I know people won't see this, but there was a thing, couple of things he did in the game that, that was so, so good in terms of his footwork that got him over the Ibotta. And actually, two or three of the tries came from things that he'd done about three or four phases earlier. I still think he's been not only the, the outstanding player of the weekend, but I think he's been the player of the tournament quite some distance actually and that's saying something given 
the performances of people like Dupont and, and some of the other Irish guys around him. But I mean, if he's that good now, imagine what he could be like in a few years' time. Nick, anybody caught your eye? I'm going to pick Kyle Sinclair, not specifically for rugby reasons, but we spoke to him after the match and he was talking about the contrast with Saturday and the Wales game in 2019, when obviously he got called out by Warren Gatland and took the bait. And uh, when we went to see him at the sort of bottom of the stadium, he was sat on the steps and he came over and said hi. And he said, oh, this time four years ago, I sat on those same steps, crying my eyes out on the phone to my mum. And I was at a crossroads in my career where it could have gone one of two ways. You know, I was full of resentment, anger and frustration. And it was either get control of those emotions or give it all up, basically, you know, lose the career, really. And uh, it was brilliant to see him sort of mature and for him, you know, close out a very personal journey. And it's really great to see somebody do that, but also then have the strength of character to come out and say, yeah, this is what's happened and, and it's good for people to hear it. Yeah, similarly, I'm going to go for Anthony Watson, two years out of the England team and coming back with a try on Saturday. Les, who caught your eye? Pick out, uh, got mine. I think his impact in the game now is... Is through the 80 minutes. It used to be, you know, patches, but now it's 80 minutes. Uh, he's such a reliable player from now, but not only reliable, he makes a difference. And I, he showed that in the weekend. Yeah. So this weekend, anyway, we've got no Six Nations, but obviously we're back to the Premiership and we've got some key matches coming up now as the season comes towards a conclusion. Northampton going to Bristol, Leicester Bath, uh, the big game at Twickenham, Quinns against Exeter, Sale Sarries, and Irish are up in. Newcastle will you actually get to go up there and spend a bit of time I actually caught up with a few Geordie mates of mine in central London on Saturday night which uh, I'm still paying for they they do like a <laughs> night out I'll give them that they took over the entire city it was a, a good night out it's a big game for you up there isn't it Les it is uh I watched their game at the same time as I was watching. What game was it on the Six Nations? You know, two TVs going. But uh, they lost a pretty important player in Peterson, their lock. Uh, I think he will get a suspension for that. But they adjusted well. I think Sarri's, I think McCall said they took their foot off the gas a little bit there. But they fight for everything, that group. And uh, up there in their home turf, they're a tough, tough cookie to break. But uh, I would suggest that if we're to go any further, we've got to make sure we win that game. Yeah. Well, now it's time for something else that you don't really want to put in a Google search without putting rugby on. It's time for you to get tackled by Lawrence. <laughs> tackled. We put all our uh, honoured and esteemed guests um, through the same set of questions. Your full name, please, sir. Leslie James Kiss. And uh, being an Aussie and now having uh, travelled the world, what's your favourite takeaway, mate? I'm just an Italian man. I love that. So, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. listen, if an Italian lets you take food away, there's something wrong with him, mate. You can't, <laughs> you've got to sit there and have about 15 courses. Uh, I mean, I've got one up the road there. I, I ring up, he knows what I want straight away. So it works. Yeah. Good stuff. What do you have for breakfast? You look quite healthy. So, you know, it must yeah. be granola or yogurt or something like No, well, not quite. I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat a lot of dairy stuff. So, Vegemite and avocado on toast is yeah. my go to. My strong black coffee. Yeah. So, you're veggie, you're not quite vegan, but you you're veggie, are you? Yeah, I eat a bit of seafood, so pescatarian more so, but uh, that's been for about you know, 26 years now. Alison, with a uh, with, with a name like yours, what's your nickname? You must have a, uh, quite a few different variations. I mean, well, I've had some variations in my time. I, people notice me. I blink a lot. I make a lot of noises. It's something called Budgie Lighthouse, but uh, more, more more than likely, the the one that's mostly used is just Kissy. It's simple. <laughs> and the the best advice that you've been given doesn't have to be a rugby sense. Could be a life lesson or whatever. But yeah, if there's something I say to my children, I, I, I say be your own best friend. It's a tough world. There's a lot of criticism out there, but you've got to be your own best friend and I think that's important you know 
have patience with yourself and and all those things. Don't be a conformer. Trust yourself and be your own best friend. Great advice. Do you have famous people in your contact book? I mean, are you uh, is Russell Crowe? Is he? Does he make, get it now? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not that good of a networker, but uh, he seems to ground those most of the rugby players in Australia. We'll see. Uh, famous, I don't know. Sean Edwards, bloody yeah. hell, that's that's getting desperate, <laughs> isn't it? Maybe. Well, yeah. And uh, listen, man, I know you're you're a modest man, but if there was a film about your life, who would you like to play you? Who would play you really well? Uh, Jason Sedeskis from Ted Lasso. I love the show. He can play me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live in Richmond. I know you're there yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah they just finished filming it, haven't they? So, yeah, yeah. Who's the, uh, either in your playing career or now, uh, in your coaching career, you, you've obviously come across a lot of great personalities. Who's the funniest person in, that, that you've come across? I think the guys in, in our club at the moment who, who've got a bit of humour about it, maybe a, a James Stokes. He's, he's yeah. quite a funny guy. Probably the funniest guy I've known, but it's my brother, Steve. So It's good. And you obviously have to get up sing a song every now and again because you can't live in Ireland without either telling a joke a limerick or a song so yeah. you've got to have one of each up your sleeve what is the Les Kiss uh, song uh, yeah, 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 you're so true with the Irish gigs you just got to be ready um, I, I pull out the old Freddie Mercury the old uh, Bohemian Rhapsody it's oh, a goodie yeah. it's everyone well, joins yeah. in everyone joins it's in the crowd pleaser. Yeah. Um, who's the best rugby player of all time for you who was the person that made you and it could be league it could be union Who's the mate? Who's the person that made you think, "Wow, this is a game I want to be involved in and I want to play it"? Uh, if it went back to my my roots in rugby league, Wally Lewis was, I think, imperious. He, he just dominated the game in every aspect. In rugby, obviously, I coached against uh, the Kiwis with uh, South Africa, with Ireland, but also in Super Rugby against the New Zealand teams. Um, uh, Richie McCall, I think, I just think he had such a, a presence and an impact on a game in so many ways. I'd say he's the best I've seen. I can't disagree with you. And for you personally, and you've had some serious highlights, and we mentioned them earlier on, what's been your best, most memorable rugby moment? Was it a Grand Slam win? Was it yeah, a... yeah, it was the Grand Slam thing. I think from a number of uh, reasons, to land in Ireland and to coach with the Irish national team and then to win that Grand Slam first one for 40-odd years or something, and we go home, I still even when we won, I knew it was special, but when we go home to, to Dublin and the you know, there's 20,000 people on, on, on the street there waiting for us and it, it meant so much to them and uh, it sort of made me really appreciate what Northern Heaven Rugby is about. It's the it's it's bloody brilliant. But that 08-09 series winning the Grand Slam, definitely. Well, listen, I think many of the footprints and handprints of that, you know, that you made are still very much there and that team now today. So, Les, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyable to talk to you. Good luck against Newcastle, especially good luck in the Premiership Cup final. We know you're going to win the party, but we want the team's trophy. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and listen, we wish you and, and London Irish all the very best for, for the Paddy's Day game against Northampton Saints. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate the time. Well, that's it for this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. Thanks again to Les Kiss, to Steve Corning and to Nick Puruel. Uh, we'll be back next week, although once again, it'll be a little later in the week on Thursday, I think, as we're bringing you another live special show in partnership with QB Business Insurance, our special guest, will be the incredibly talented Emily Scarrett. So looking forward to that one. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.